Thanks so much for joining us for the Southland Church radio broadcast. We hope you enjoy the service. We're going to start a new series. So we just finished uh, Learn to Love and uh, really thankful to Stefan, uh, who developed so much of that material over the years already and just uh, awesome. Uh, I know me doing some of the exercises and discussing in our uh, small group and stuff. It was, it was such a good time of actually growing, intentionally growing in loving people. Now this summer, I want to start a new series though. And uh, we prayed about it with all of our pastors. And, uh, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, it was, in fact, it was Chris Carr who gave me the idea originally. And then we prayed about it with our pastors. And uh, I want to start a series called Back to the Basics. And we're going to spend, and I don't know how long it's going to be, Okay, so, but now over summer, it's going to be a bunch of weeks anyway. And uh, some of the other pastors are going to be speaking on it when I go on holidays in August and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we're going to talk about back to the basics. We're going to talk about a bunch of our key statements of faith as a church uh, here at Southland. And uh, and some of the Southland basics that have been so core to us in our DNA. Things like hearing God and and, uh, even Jesus return and those sorts of things. We're going to talk about those this uh, summer. And I'm excited about it. I think there's a real beauty in the basics. There's something about the basics uh, that we need. It's why we do what we do. Um, And so I'm excited about that. And so uh, I'm going to start with a word of prayer here, and then we're going to just jump into it. And our first message today is back to the basics. Who is God? And we're just going to look at our uh, official Southland statement of faith about God. And then we're going to look at how amazingly it applies to our lives today and how wonderful our God truly is. Would you bow your heads with me at home and wherever you are right now? And let's pray to the God who exists and who has created everything. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for the adventure we get to live together as a church right now. So we get to come back uh, to church in a capacity in a couple of weeks. And we are thankful for that. It won't be like it used to be, but it will be something and we get to experiment and have fun doing it. May we have your joy. Lord, that's one of the things that marks this church is the joyfulness. Lord, we're going to have joy experimenting this summer. Thank you for how things have been going. Thank you for the government allowing us to come back to church. We appreciate that. And we pray for them. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray for blessing for our government. And Lord, as we go back to the basics this summer, the basics, the foundations is what it's all about. That's where the life is. And so Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would apply these old foundational truths to us in new ways. And most of all, again, that you would fill us with joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's look at our uh, Southland statement of faith. Uh, this is from our, our statement of faith. Any of you who's taken the South and one, any of you who's a member has seen this before. And this is what our statement of faith says about God. Okay, so this isn't our entire statement of faith. We have, uh, our statement of faith covers a bunch of different things. Obviously, we're not going to cover it all in the first message, but we're just looking at the portion of the, our statement of faith that deals with who God is. And this is what our Southland statement of faith says about God. And there's so much here. I could do a whole series on this, but I'm not gonna. We're gonna do one message and then we're gonna move on. Okay, there is only one God creator and ruler of the universe. He exists eternally as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. This is what we believe. This is what I believe, okay? And this is, this is actually meant to be an anchor. This truth, as Christians, I hope we never get bored of the foundational truth. The fact that there is a God who is the creator and ruler of the entire universe is supposed to be one of those uh, anchoring truths, one of those centering truths that brings us peace in the midst of stormy waters. Because right now, the world we're living in, church, we're meant to be a a light of joy and peace in the midst of this. Um, But when you look at the news, it's a lot different than joy and peace right now. I mean, we don't even have to try to summarize everything. There's just so much stuff, uh, you know, sickness and disease and violence and, and racism and all these things going on. I mean, even when you get down to the little things, there's even murder hornets living in BC now. I don't know how many of you have seen that. And I'm going, just the news is just one, you know, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. And as Christians, we can get caught up in that until we remind ourselves and remember again. There is a God out there, creator and ruler of the universe. And when things get really crazy, 
You want to know one of the most encouraging names of God, one of the most encouraging visions, passages, descriptions of God for me personally that I like to go back to when things feel crazy. And that is in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel saw a vision of this God, this one God who is the creator and ruler of the universe. And Daniel saw a vision of this God in heaven. And this is how he describes it. He says this, as I looked, thrones were placed. And that's that ruler, sovereign, you know, piece of who God is. I'm going to look at that a whole bunch at the, in, the, in the last part of this message. But I want you to see this name here. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. And I want to just meditate for just a moment. In, this, in the crazy times that we're living in, I want to just meditate for just a moment on the fact that our God's, one of our God's descriptions, one of our God's names is the ancient of days. Okay, our God is not, you know, a few decades old or a few centuries old or even a few thousand years old. He is the ancient of days. He goes back eternally, billions and billions and trillions of years and, you, and while the world goes up and down and all over the place, this is why this name and this description of God encourages me so much. Because when the world is going crazy and it's up and it's down and it's this way and it's that way, we can remember that our God is the ancient of days. He's unmovable. What can, what can he see? What could happen in this world? that passes like this. A thousand years to him, it says in the Bible in a couple of different places is like a day. What could happen in this world that could shake the confidence or the inner peace of the ancient of days? And this is one of the reasons, and I, I've talked about this before over the last couple of months, but I want to just bring it back to this because I think it's really relevant to where we are today. The fact that our God is the ancient of days, that he is the creator and ruler of the universe that reality needs to impact us in the way we live. And in a world where, you know, so many people are, you know, are freaking out over stuff, it's sad to me that so many Christians, and I'm not just talking about around here, but around the world, that so many Christians have joined in with the world and we've lost our peace and we're freaking out about this and we're freaking out about that and we're just, we're losing our marbles along with the world. And yet we're the ones who believe in this God who is the ancient of days, the creator and ruler of the universe. We need to tap into that because he's not worried. What could happen in the world today that he hasn't seen before? I mean, we, we, we think, oh, this is like the worst thing that ever happened in the world before. You know, what's happened in the last couple of months and a couple of months to God is like, what, a second? He's like, oh my goodness, you guys haven't seen very much. In fact, Every generation, you know, when, when you think about the ancient of days, I think it's common. I think every generation of human beings, we tend to, just because of the way we're wired in our weakness, uh, we tend to think that we are the only generation that has struggled with the things we struggle with. But you know what the book of Ecclesiastes says, which just ties in so well with the fact that God, our God is the ancient of days. Look what the book of Ecclesiastes says. Uh, King Solomon wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote this. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And now look at this. And I want you just to let this sink in for a moment. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. The book of Ecclesiastes said, says, actually, you know, when each generation goes Oh my goodness, we're facing the worst problems that have ever been faced before. The book of Ecclesiastes says, actually, no, there is nothing new under the sun. Okay? Now, some of you are going, well, that's absolutely not true. There's lots of new things under the sun, like cell phones and internet and, you know, uh, CFL football and whatever you want, movies, all the, you know, there's lots of things that were never before and nuclear uh, technology, electricity. There's lots of things that are new today that weren't, you know, for 99.9% .9 of human history. And that's true. Clearly their technology is new. 
you know, clearly the book of Ecclesiastes can't be saying that humans don't invent new things or that technology doesn't grow as time goes by. But what the writer, what Solomon is getting at under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here is that the basic struggles of human nature and suffering are not new. There has always been human oppression. There has always been sickness and disease. There has always been family problems and brokenness and poverty and, and, and government and pandemics. These things have always been. And by the way, that doesn't mean that I or the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to minimize the problems we face in this world. I'm not trying to say that because these things have always been, therefore they're not serious. And we don't need to worry about them. Absolutely not. And, and particularly as believers who are made in the image of God, we should be passionate about fighting for justice. We should be passionate about, uh, about working to spread God's goodness in the world. But having said that, we need to work for justice. We need to love people. We need to work to improve things because we're made in God's image and we want to reflect his image here on the earth. We need to do all of those things without the panic and the outrage. If we could take the panic and the outrage out of it, we could be a light to this world rather than just being the same as everybody else. You know, inspired by Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes here, I just want to take a little, short little tour of history. And, and this is such a, it, we don't even scratch the surface. I'm only going to look at the last hundred years. I'm only going to look at three things. We could look at hundreds of things over the last hundred years. And then, we could, and then if we went back before hundred years, we could look at many, many, many other things but I want to just take a quick sweep over just the last hundred years and just not even scratch the surface of the last hundred years. And I want to show you that so many of the things we are facing today, it actually is just like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there is nothing new under the sun. So if we go back a hundred years, well, 101 to be exact, if we go back 101 years, imagine you wake up and the year is 1919. Okay. So imagine you go back in time and it's 1919. World War I has just finished, okay? 20 million people died in World War I. You know, all of, you know, basically all of Western civilization went to war. It was an awful war. Awful, awful, awful. Again, 20 million people died. There was tens of millions of casualties, okay? But now it's 1919 and that war has just finished. But you know what's sweeping the world right now in the, in the aftermath of World War I? is what has gotten the nickname, the Spanish flu. It's not a great name, actually, because it didn't originate in Spain. But the influenza pandemic of 1918 to 1920 swept around the world for three years. And in that pandemic, 500 million people got sick with, the, with that flu, okay? Which at the time was one third of the world's population. 50 million people died from, the, from that flu, okay? 20 million had just died in World War I. 50 million people died from the flu. You can see pictures there on your screen of police officers wearing masks. Does that remind you of anything? You say, this is, we're facing the worst problems the world has ever faced. No, we're not. Our God is the ancient of days. What can we see now that he hasn't seen already? And how would it have felt if you were living a hundred years ago? How would that have felt to you to be in the midst of this pandemic at the end of this terrible, terrible war? It would have felt like the world was ending. But let me ask you something. Did the world end in 1919? It didn't. Why? Because there is a God in the universe who is the creator and ruler over all. And things aren't going to fall apart because his word says he's going to come back and set up his kingdom on the earth. But you know what? What if we fast forwarded from 1919? What if we fast forwarded 24 years? Now imagine we go back in time and it's 1943. Okay. It's 1943. Now we're in the middle of World War II, okay? A man by the name of Adolf Hitler is trying to take over all of Europe, okay? He's trying to exterminate the Jewish people along with other peoples, okay? Gypsies and, and different things. He, he's exterminating literally millions and millions of people. Do you think that at that time there were people who woke up and thought the end of the world, the world is about to fall apart? Like everything's going to just collapse. There was lots of people who thought that. And guess what? Here we are today, almost 80 years later, and the world still hasn't fallen apart. 
You want to know why that is? Because there is a God out there who is the creator and ruler of the universe. We could go on and on and on. Fast forward to the 1950s. Uh, in the 1950s, there was terrible fear all over uh, Western civilization, North America, the United States, Canada. People from my parents' generation, I've heard stories of, uh, you know, from my parents and other people in my parents' generation growing up in school, how they would look at these maps and how communism, communism was spreading all over the world. And, and the big fear back in those days was that communists were going to take over the entire world. People were genuinely afraid. There was many places in North America, particularly in the United States, where children would go to school and literally they would have nuclear, nuclear bomb uh, drills where they would practice hiding under their desks in case a nuclear bomb hit. Like your little desk is going to protect you, right? Like, huh, I'm from a nuclear bomb. But anyway, um, and, uh, and, and there was conspiracies. Did you know in the 1950s, People were terrified that there were, there were uh, secret communist uh, groups and conspiracies that were going to take over the American government. It got so bad that uh, a man by the name of Gen uh, Senator uh, Joseph McCarthy actually became famous. There's a picture of him there. And you can all Google this uh, whenever you want. In fact, many of you are at home right now. You're probably doing it right now. And you can Google McCarthy witch hunts. And they actually put thousands of people in prison and accused literally thousands of people of being secret communists. People were so paranoid, they thought this thing was happening, and that they were accusing normal people who had no ties to communism of being... Com anyway, you say, what does this have to do with Ecclesiastes? And the answer is, there is nothing new under the sun. Fear, conspiracies, people afraid the world is going to fall apart. These things are not new. This is part of, you know, human brokenness. This has been happening all along. And as Christians, we need to be able to rise above this because we know the truth. There is a God out there who is the creator and the ruler. He is sovereign over all that is. Now, I just want to put a little caveat in here because I know some of you might be a little bothered and I'm not trying, I'm not upset at anybody. So you might say, well, are, as Christians, are we not allowed to have concerns? Are we not allowed to have legitimate concerns? Maybe there are real things that are happening behind the scenes that are dangerous to us. And I have no doubt. There's no question. The reason we have the word conspiracy is because conspiracies do happen in this world. And my point is not that Christians can't be concerned. My point is not that Christians can't legitimately voice and be part of the discussion that's going on to make sure that justice and freedom and all those things happen in our society. Those are things that as Christians, we should be involved in. And it's not that we can't have those things, but here is again the point. If we really believe that there is a God who is the creator and the ruler of this universe, why would our tone ever have to be panicked or outraged? We should be at a place of perfect peace. The ancient of days has seen empires come and go. Nations come and go extinct. Millennia and centuries just go by. He's seen it all and he is in charge. Therefore, we can engage in dialogue. We can engage in conversation. We can fight for justice out of a place of peace and hope, offering hopeful solutions to our society and being a light in the process. So I want to put that up on PowerPoint just to make sure that we don't miss it. I like to just sometimes put things up there. It's not that we as Christians can't have legitimate concerns. It's not that we can't legitimately disagree, but how we communicate our concerns. See that statement of faith, you might say, how are you applying this to that? Either we believe what this book says, either we believe that there truly is a God out there who is above it all, or we don't. And if we believe that, it should radically impact the way we behave and talk and treat each other every day. Amen? And to me, it's the most hopeful thing. When I go to the top, the first statement in the Southland Statement of Faith is about God. That there is one God who is the creator and ruler of the universe. To me, that is one of the most uh, hopeful, peace-giving, anchoring truths that we could ever talk about. It's beautiful. 
And so I wanna talk now about this idea that he is the ruler of the universe, the fact that God is in charge. Let's go back to our statement of faith and read it again. There is only one God, creator and ruler of the universe, okay? Creator and ruler of the universe. Now, what does it mean? Now, another big theological word that people often use is that God is sovereign, okay? And we're gonna look at what that means because it has huge implications for our lives. And primarily it has the implication that you can live at, in peace and joy in the midst of the craziest stuff. But it says, again, there is only one God, creator and ruler of the universe. He exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. This fact that God is the ruler of the universe, that he is sovereign, is all over scriptures. I'm gonna read you a passage and then we'll explore what it means. First Chronicles 29, verse 11 to 12, one of the most uh, powerful prayers uh, penned in scripture. One of my favorite anyway, okay? And it's from King David. And he says this, he prays to God, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Now look at this, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. So there, again, there's so many passages that go into our statement, church's statement of faith. He is the ruler of the universe. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, I'm going to show you three things. What does it mean that God is in charge? What does it mean that God is sovereign? I'm going to show you three things. You do not have to panic and try to write it down because I'm going to come back to them. Because then we're going to go and look at two things that it does not mean. And then we're going to finish this, this message by showing you the beauty of God, the truth that God is in charge, that he is sovereign. Okay. So I'll just, first I'll just sum them up on the screen, but I'll come back to them. You don't need to write these all down in a moment. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Here's three things. And these are not the only three things, but these are three key things that we get out of this passage. It means, first of all, that he owns everything, which second of all means he gets to decide the definitions of right and wrong. Third, it means that no one, and this is, my, this is where we're going to end this message, that no one and no thing can stop our God from carrying out the good plans he has for each of us as individuals and for the world as a whole. That's, that's what it means that God is sovereign. He owns everything. He decides right and wrong. And nothing and no one can stop him from carrying out his plans for you as a person or for the world as a whole. Now, I just want to briefly, just a couple of minutes, I want to just look at what God being sovereign does not mean. Because sometimes as Christians, we take the God is sovereign to a weird place that it's not supposed to go. It's supposed to comfort us, but it's not supposed to make us kind of paralyzed. And one of the things that sometimes happens is when Christians focus on the sovereignty of God, they sometimes go to this weird place where they get this idea that the fact that God is sovereign, that the fact that God is in charge means he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. Therefore, why do I need to pray? Sometimes, you know, if not many Christians would actually say that, but I think some Christians are actually there. It's this idea of why do I need to pray if God's just going to do what he's going to do anyway? Like if he's sovereign and in charge and he's just going to do it, why does it matter if I pray? Okay. Um, and, uh, and that is obviously not what God's sovereignty is about. He is not just going to do what he's going to do. He's given us freedom to make choices and our prayers make a difference. We'll look at that again in just a second. Also, some other Christians might think to themselves, well, if God's just going to do what he's going to do, if he has these big plans, he's going to do anything. Why do I need to sacrifice for missions? Why do I need to serve? Why do I need to fight for justice if he's just going to do it anyway? And again, the Bible is very clear that we are to, sac we're, we're to be living sacrifices. So the fact that he's in charge doesn't mean that he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. There's lots of things he won't do unless we give ourselves to him in prayer and in missions and serving and all that. But there's a second thing. And that is this idea that people get this idea that if God is in charge, if God is sovereign, we have this saying as Christians, sometimes we say God is in control, which I love that saying. You don't need to stop saying it. I just want to make sure we understand what we mean when we say God is in control. When we say God is in control, if we mean that God is controlling everything, that is false. When Adolf Hitler went to war to take on all of Europe 
And when he was trying to exterminate the Jewish race and many other peoples, when he was trying to do those things, was God controlling Adolf Hitler? Was God making Adolf Hitler do the things that Adolf Hitler was doing? Was that part of God's plan that he wanted to have happen? And the answer is no. Adolf Hitler made choices and God allows us to make choices, okay? So the fact, when we say that God is in control, we do not mean that God is controlling everyone. Certainly not. We mean that he's in charge. Now, let me just show this to you in scripture, okay? Luke chapter 19, and this is Jesus just before the crucifixion, okay? And I, I want you to see what happens here. This is a beautiful story and we're gonna get insight into God's heart. And when he, that's Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Now, I'm going to show you the next couple of verses in just a moment, just not yet. Why is Jesus weeping? Why is Jesus weeping? It's because he wants so bad. He loves the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem so much. He has actually come to earth and he wants them to come to him. You're going to see in the next passage too. In, in, another, in another passage in both Matthew and Luke, he says that he wanted to gather Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem under his wings, like a hen, her chicks. He wanted to protect them. He came to earth and he wanted to forgive their sins and protect them, but they're rejecting him. And he's so sad about it. He's weeping. Now, are these the actions of a God who's controlling everything? No, he's not controlling the Jewish people. He doesn't want them to reject him but he's allowing them to make choices. And so he's weeping because they've chosen against him. He's not controlling them. He's in charge, but in charge is very different than controlling. By the way, you know, in our family with our kids, you know, there's a sense not, and of course all analogies fall short, but there's a sense in which I'm in charge, you know, LaDonna and I together in charge of our family. Does that mean I control everything our kids do? No. It means that LaDonna and I together get to make the rules. We get to decide on the rewards and punishments. It means that when we want to carry out our plans, we just do, okay? But it doesn't mean I control them. And it's the same with God. He can be in charge. He can have plans. It doesn't mean he controls people. Now look at what it says in the next passage, Luke 19. In charge is different than controlling. Luke 19, 41 to 44, or 43 to 44. This is right after Jesus weeps. For the days will come upon you. He is now prophesying to Jerusalem. So he weeps. He wanted to protect them. Now he weeps. He says, for the days will come upon you, this is a prophecy, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What is Jesus talking about here? He's prophesying ahead 40 years. 40 years after Jesus' death in 70 AD, the Romans would do exactly this to Jerusalem. They would surround Jerusalem they would literally lay siege to Jerusalem. They would starve the, the inhabitants, literally tens of thousands of people starving to death, children, you know, adults, parents, old, young, starved to death. And finally, when most of their inhabitants were starved, they smashed into the city and crucified thousands of the ones who were left. It was an awful event. Jesus prophesied it here. Did he like any of that? No, that's why he's weeping. Did he make the Romans do that? No. He hated it. 70 AD, when the Romans did that to Jerusalem, God was weeping. He hated what the Romans were doing. He wanted to protect the Jews, but they refused him. And so we see that God is not, God is in charge, but God does not control everything. So if we mean by saying God is in control, that what, if we mean by that, that God is ultimately turning all things for good and weaving all kinds of things into his plan that is 100% true. But if what we mean by that is that God is making bad things happen, I can tell you right now, categorically, when evil happens on this earth, God weeps. He does not make evil happen. He weeps with us. He weeps with you. He weeps with us as people. So if God's not controlling people, what does it mean that he's in charge? Well, let's go back to the three statements I put up before. And the, the three things we're going to look at here, and then a fourth thing, because I always have to add a, a fourth one. So it's a three plus one. God's not controlling people. What does it mean that he's in charge? First of all, it means that he owns everything, right? We look at that in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All, for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. 
God made everything out of nothing. Therefore, it all belongs to him. It's all his. And the practical application of that is the second point, which is, since God owns everything and he made everything, he gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. When he says murder is wrong, it's wrong. When he says stealing is wrong, it's wrong. When he says greed and pride and prejudice and racism and all those things are wrong, they are wrong. When he talks about, when he defines sexual morality in marriage, that's his right as creator and ruler of the universe to define those things. But you know, it's not just about the don'ts. It's also about the do's. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself and to love your neighbor and to love God is the most important commandment, that's his right to say that's the most important thing. When God says we are to honor and respect our leaders, including the government, which it says over and over and over again in the New Testament, it's God's right to define that and to say this is right and this is wrong. And now this brings us to the last thing, which is the one I love so much and where we're going to finish. The fact that God is in charge means that no one, including Satan himself, and no thing, and no government, and no technology, nothing and no one can stop God from carrying out his good plans for each of us as individuals as well as the world as a whole. Isn't that beauty, beautiful? So it's not that God, so God being in charge does not mean that God stops people from doing bad things. But it does mean that nobody can stop him from doing good things. Isn't that awesome? Nobody can stop him from taking the evil that happens to us in this world and turning it for our good. And God's got plans. He's got huge plans that have to do with the universe, that have to do with the earth, that have to do with us, the human race, and with all of history. He's got big plans like that. And nothing and no one, not Satan himself and all his powers of evil can stop those things from happening. God's got plans for the church around the world and no amount of persecution, no amount of pandemic, no amount of finance, you know, financial crisis or anything will be able to stop God from carrying out his plans for the church. And then God also has small plans, plans for your life, plans for my life, plans for your family, plans for my family. And you know what's amazing? No one can stop him. No disease, no accident, nothing in the news. Because he's sovereign, the ruler of the universe, nothing can stop him. You know, in the old days, a king, and of course God is a good king. But in the old days, when a king was in charge of a country, nobody could stop the king from doing what he wanted. If he wanted to go to war, he went to war. If he wanted to raise taxes, he raised taxes. If he wanted to eat a certain thing, he could eat a certain thing. If he wanted to build a palace, he built a palace. Nobody could stop him. Thankfully, our God is a good king and everything he does is because he loves us. But in the same way that nobody could stop a king from carrying out his plans, nobody can stop God from carrying out his plans for us. And this should give us hope every single day. Whether you're going through some emotional turmoil, could be depression or anxiety, could be job, financial, could be family. God can turn it for your good and will turn it for your good if you only trust him. Look at this, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Famous verse. God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. The word there in Hebrew is peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. No matter what you're going through right now, you can trust that God's got a good plan for you. And it might be painful in the moment, but you don't have, you don't have to act out. And it's okay to feel fear, but you don't have to act out in fear. You don't have to act out in outrage. We can walk in peace and joy knowing that our God is in charge. You know, I heard a, a story once, which I don't think was true, and which I have since adapted. So I guess it's just is a made-up figment of my own imagination, probably by this point. But a trapper is going along at, at, with his uh, on his trapping lines, and probably this started with something true at some point somewhere. 
the fact that there was a trapper is true. And, uh, and then from there, I don't know what, what else is. But anyway, a trapper is going along his trapping lines and he finds a dog uh, caught in one of his traps, uh, which was meant for a much bigger animal. And uh, so he comes to this dog and this dog is in a lot of pain. And the dog, of course, as the trapper comes to him, he wants to let him out. But this dog is in so much pain and he's lashing out because when the trapper tries to, to, to pull the trap apart so he can let the dog's leg out, it causes even more pain for the dog. Moving the leg, trying to pull it apart, causes even more pain. And the dog is snapping and lashing out at the trapper. Because this poor dog doesn't know. The trapper knows, I'm doing this to set you free. I've got a bigger plan. I know it's painful right now, but I've got a bigger plan that ends up with you in a better spot. But the dog just can't see it. And the more the dog fights, the longer it takes and the more painful it is for that dog in that moment to experience the good plans that trapper has for him. But if that dog could just trust that the trapper actually has his best interests in mind, he would find out that the trapper actually has good plans for him, plans for a future and a hope. And the same is true of us as a church. The same is true for us as individuals and families. You might be going through some painful things right now. You might be afraid of some things right now. But you can actually just let go in all that fear and know that even though you don't understand it, just like the dog couldn't understand, the trapper can't explain to him, I have, would you just stay still? I'm letting you out of the trap. He can't understand. So he thinks the trapper's hurting him more, but the trapper's trying to rescue him in the same way. God is working good things in your life right now. And that brings up this final point. The fact that God is sovereign means he has set a time when he will end evil and death. All the stuff you're going through right now that makes life feel so hard, the fact that God's in charge means he's already set a date when all pain and all bankruptcy and all depression and all anxiety and all pandemics and sickness and world turmoil, there is a date when all of that's going to end and we're not going to experience that anymore because God's in charge. He said it's going to happen and it will happen. So I want us to take a, a moment now just to reflect. What is God saying to you this morning out of this message? What might be one thing that God might be saying to you through this message? God's in charge. Are there any painful things you're in the middle of right now that you need to just relax and trust God that he's going to get you through it? That you might be caught in a trap and you can't understand what God's doing because he's just so much wiser than us. And he's saying, would you just relax? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out of this. I think a nice summary of this message is we don't need to fear because God's in charge and there is nothing new under the sun. Maybe you just need to confess to God right now that you've been spending too much time freaking out about the news doesn't mean that as Christians we can't be concerned with what's going on. doesn't mean that we can't speak into what's going on. But are we speaking more than we're praying? Are we listening and trusting more than lashing out in outrage? Let's just take a moment and let the Spirit speak to us. Holy Spirit, we want to be a church that is a light Rather than being afraid, we are going to view what's happening right now as an adventure. Because you've got a plan and your plans aren't going to be thwarted by COVID. Your plans for this world and for our families and for this church are not going to be thwarted by sickness or social distancing or upheaval protests around the world. Lord, it's just not, they're not going to be derailed because you're in charge. So we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you with the big plans. We're going to trust you with the small plans. We're going to trust you with our jobs. We're going to trust you with our families. 
We're going to trust you with our kids. We're going to trust you with this church. Thank you for being in charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com. And now join us as we close this hour with songs written by Southland's worship ministry.
those who walk According to the word of God You give life to those who obey your command Your word is a lamp unto my feet Your word is the bread of life I need Your word is true Your word is life It stands alone It will not die Your word is hope Your word is the life Jesus Your word is the life Our hope is found in you For you are the founding truth our delight is in drawing near to you. You're the beginning and the end, and your word has always been. It will lead your church back to you again. Your word is a lamp unto Walk with you, 
guide us in all we do. Together we ask, together we seek and receive. Lord, help us keep the the 
guide us in all we do. Together we ask, together we seek and receive. Lord, help us keep the Just 